Well, this morning, uh, we're going to be thinking about how Christmas is a time of peace. Christmas is a time of peace. And uh, we're going to see this in the third part of our sort of four-part mini-series on the songs of Luke's Gospel. If you were here uh, last Sunday night, you'll know that I'm titling sort of my two sermons uh, Responding to What God Has Done. And this is because each song is a response to something that God has done. And you'll see there in the screen behind me um, that this morning we're seeing that God has come. He has come and, and Jesus has been born. And as a result, the angels sing. That is their response to what he has done. Well, we're going to see that as Jesus is born, Jesus makes Christmas a time of peace. Now, I'm actually going to play a video as well. Um, I know Alex just played a video. Uh, it kind of feels like the last day of school. You know what it's like. They just play videos. And it's, maybe that's what you're thinking uh, church is like at this time of year. We're getting to the end of term. Um, but, but this video, hopefully, it will help us see um, that Christmas is a time of peace. It's a video um, that was made to mark uh, the 100th anniversary of one of the most remarkable moments, um, moments of peace in history. So let's watch it, and then uh, I'll put it on here, and then we'll come back up, and we'll see what it is. Jenkins, Oakley, Knight. Otto. Pleased to meet you, Otto. Freut mich. Rose, she's called. Schön, Herr Schön.
schwach. Frohe Weihnachten. Thanks very much. I don't know if you remember seeing that ad- advertisement uh, when it was aired uh, in 2014, um, advertisement for Sainsbury's, but it's quite a, a remarkable story, isn't it? In no man's land in 1914, there was peace on Christmas Day. The tagline there that we saw at the very end was, Christmas is for sharing. That's what Sainsbury's wants us to do. But it gets there, doesn't it? St. Therese gets us to that point by speaking to one of the most greatest desires in humankind, the desire for peace. We all want peace, don't we? I mean, there's even some of us, I recognize, who seem to revel in conflict, but even you crave times of truce. And Christmas reminds us or tells us that peace can be attained, even in the midst of the most horrific conflicts. And Christmas, we're told, is when this peace can be achieved. I think we know that Christmas is a difficult time with peace, and it's the time that we probably crave peace most of all. Christmas is one of those times when we're probably more aware of our conflicts than any other time. It's when we remember the broken relationships within our families. It's whenever we feel the effects of the marriage that has broken down. It's whenever we seek rest from our feuds. It's whenever we wish to have our friends return to us, those friends that we have fallen out with. In the midst of this brokenness, we're told that that at Christmas this peace can be achieved. Well, this morning we go to a passage. We go to a passage that not only tells us that Christmas is the time for peace, but it tells us why that is so. We said at the beginning, and we read it earlier in our service, but this passage is, if you're familiar with it, describes the night that Jesus was born. And specifically, the moment his birth was announced to a group of shepherds by angels. And it's from this angelic announcement that we're going to see that Jesus' birth, what it's really all about, is although that it doesn't, directly, it doesn't directly address our personal conflicts, it addresses the root problem. We're going to look at verse 14 and we're going to see from the angels' words, we're going to see it, that they remind us that we're at war with God, but we're going to see that the good news of Christmas is that through the birth of Jesus Christ, peace can be achieved. And once our relationship with our Heavenly Father is restored, well, the good news is that peace with one another can follow. We all desire peace, don't we? We all crave peace. And we're going to see from this verse, we're going to learn about it. You'll see there on the screen behind me, we're going to look at this in two points. That's how we're going to try and break this down. We're going to look at peace heralded and then peace heard. 
So let's have a look at each one of these in turn, shall we? First of all, peace heralded. In this point, you'll see there that we're going to see that peace is provided by God. We're going to look, we're going to see this by looking specifically at the words of the angelic host. So let's uh, read them again, shall we? Verses 13 and 14. Have a look down with me uh, if you have it open in front of you. Verse 13. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. It's hard for us to imagine this scene, but it is, I'm sure you'll agree, a truly remarkable event. There's a couple of contrasts here that, that really bring that to the, to the fore for us. There's a, the change of the darkness of night to the brightness of the glory of God. Then there's the relative silence of being outside to the resounding praise of the heavenly host. And it's a truly astonishing event. But it is appropriate when we consider the news they bring. And what is their news? What do they say in verse 14? It tells us that they are praising God. They have come suddenly out of nowhere praising God because he is making peace. God is making peace with man. Now, for us to understand why this announcement is so astonishing, we need to understand our default position with God. And our default position is that we are at war with him. Now, I don't know how you react to that. Imagine some of you are, are sitting there thinking, I'm not or have ever been at war with God. Some of you might even be saying to yourself, you know, I don't even speak to God. I don't think about him. I don't care about him. And, and most of us, I imagine, are in that position where we say, you know, I've never or I'm not, I'm not aggressive towards God in any way. But the reality is, although we may not feel like it, our default position is that we are at war with God. It's a bit like March 2003. Maybe you remember this time. The United Kingdom and our allies declared war against Iraq. Particularly, I'm sure you remember the start of that campaign with Operation Shock and Awe, carried out by the Americans. I'm sure you remember it. Well, I ask you to recall that time, not necessarily to think about what you thought about that war, but how you felt during that time. How did you feel day to day in March 2003? Let me ask you, did, did it feel like you were at war? Sure, we saw the news. Some of us may even know members or have known members of the armed forces who lost their lives or who were horrifically injured. But I imagine most of us, we did not feel like we were at war, even though we were. You see, it's the same with God, except with God it is, it is far worse because we've not been brought into war against him by someone else. Rather, our conflict with him is our own doing. And the Bible tells us that it's because of our sin that we find ourselves in this situation. And it applies to every single one of us. Our sin is in every, we are all sinful. If you're someone who ignores God, well, you sin by not paying God the homage that he deserves. If you're someone who tries to please God, well, you sin by insulting his majesty. By not treating him the way that we, we ought. 
If we rage against him, well, we sin, don't we, by denying his authority. You see, the reality is our our default position, the default position of every human being that has ever lived is that we're at war with God and that it is a war that we cannot win. It's an unusual war in that way where only one side will, will have casualties and it's our side. We will be the only casualties of this conflict. And you see, coming back to Luke chapter 2, verse 14, this is why this news is so astonishing. This is why it comes with such fanfare. Because God is offering peace to humankind. And it tells us how this peace is going to come about. Let's have a look once more at the passage and see what the angel says in verse 10. Shall we read it again, verse 10? This is what the angel says to the shepherds. The angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a saviour has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. Peace, peace, according to this angel, is secured through the birth of a baby. The Lord Jesus Christ. And if you look down there at that verse, you see that he, he is the Christ, the Lord. In other words, he is God's chosen king. He is the one who has been sent by God to save his people from the wrath of God that they deserve. You see, this is why the birth of Jesus Christ is so important. Because it is through him that God provides peace. It's not just a temporary truce that perhaps some people have over Christmas. You know, you agree to get on for a couple of hours in an afternoon or maybe a day or two. It's a peace that lasts forever. It's not a fragile peace. We've seen lots of that in world history, haven't we? Fragile pieces sort of sell a tape together and could break at any minute. Nor is it a false peace. Do you know what I mean by a false peace? The kind that, that, that technically stops the conflict but doesn't really address the problems. And so the two sides may not be actually fighting. None of the hurt has been resolved. None of the blame has been resolved. It's not real peace. But Jesus, the good news of the gospel is that Jesus has come to offer full and definite peace. A peace that can restore our relationship with God. And therefore pave the way for peace on earth. Jesus is the peace that the angels herald. He is the peace that God has provided. Well, how are we to respond to Jesus? How are we to respond to this news that God has provided peace? Well, we see this in our second point, don't we? That peace is not only heralded, but peace is heard. And you'll see this in the screen behind me, that in this point we're going to see that peace is provided for God's people. Peace is provided for God's people. And we see this by looking at who the angels speak to and how they respond. Now to help us navigate this, I've got three questions for you. Don't expect you to shout out the answers. I'll not do that to you. I'll give you the answers, don't worry. But this is how we're going to try and get our minds around this, okay? I'll start with a very easy question, okay? Who do the angels speak to? Okay, have we got it? Okay, dead easy. The angels are speaking to shepherds in the fields nearby. 
Okay? Second question. Why do the angels speak to the shepherds? Why? Why do they speak to this particular group of people in this particular field? Slightly tougher, isn't it? Well, the answer is in the passage, isn't it? And the passage tells us that the shepherds represent not just everyone in the world, but those in whom God's favor rests. We see this, don't we, in verse 10. Have a look down at verse 10. The angel said to them, don't be afraid, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. And then have a look at verse 11. Isn't this remarkable? Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to who? To you. Isn't that interesting? I don't know if you have received news of people being pregnant or having a baby in recent times, but we say that the baby belongs to the people that have born the baby. But it's interesting, isn't it? The angels don't say that a baby has been born to Mary and Joseph. They say that the baby has been born to you. And so these people, these shepherds, have been chosen by God to hear this news because they represent all people. But not only do they represent all people, but they represent those in whom God's favor rests. And we see that in our verse in verse 14, don't we? Glory to God in the highest and peace to men. Which men? On whom God's favor rests. This brings us to our final question. So who does the angels speak to? Do they speak to angels? Why do they speak to angels? Because the angels represent all of mankind and those in whom God's favor rests. And our final question, how do we know God's favor rests on the shepherds? Well, again, the answer is in the text, isn't it? Because not only do they hear about Jesus, but they respond in faith. What do we read about them? Verse 9, it tells us that they were terrified when if the arrival of this angel, and I think that's completely understandable, isn't it? But then this chorus of angels appears. And rather than remaining in fear, they listen to them and they say, do not be afraid. And they respond in faith. We say that in verse 15, don't we? Let's have a look at it, see what it says in verse 15. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go. Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. It's truly a remarkable scene, and it's very hard for us to put ourselves in that kind of situation, to put ourselves in these shoes. It's very hard to know how we'd respond. But when we read this verse, verse 15, it seems that there's no real hint of fear, and there's certainly no real hint of disbelief. Instead, we've just read, haven't we, that as soon as the angels leave, the shepherds resolve to go to Bethlehem to see what the Lord has told them about. And this is an act of faith. It's an act of faith because Jesus is still a baby. And peace has not yet been secured. I mean, what has Jesus actually accomplished? He's just been born. Yet the shepherds believe that Jesus is the one who will bring peace It's like they've accepted the terms of peace that have been drawn up. You know, I'm sure you recognize the scene. Sometimes you would see it in movies where, you know, two battle or two armies would be on opposing sides. Um, You know, they'd be there with their, their infantry and their cavalry. And just before the battle, dignitaries from each side would ride to the middle and they would offer peace to one another. 
They would say, here is my terms of peace. We will not destroy you if you accept these terms of peace and so on and so forth. And that is something like what is going on here. With the birth of Jesus, nothing has yet been accomplished. It won't be accomplished until he dies on the cross and he rises again three days later. But with the birth of Jesus, the, peace, the terms of peace are offered. And in faith, the shepherds have accepted. Let me say that the peace that Jesus is offering or that God is offering through his son, Jesus Christ, is not like worldly peace. I've just you know, give, used that illustration of two armies coming together, two opposing sides. And do you know what happens in that scenario, don't you? Whenever a side offers peace, it's not offering just peace and letting the army go away. Do you know, free to live their lives. They're offering peace and persecution. Well, Jesus, when he offers peace, offers peace and prosperity. And that's what the Bible teaches us. It teaches us that whenever we trust in Jesus, we're freed from sin and its consequences. It tells us that whenever we trust in Jesus, we're not going to face the wrath of God that we deserve for our sin. The Bible tells us that when we trust in Jesus, we're actually going to become co-heirs of his kingdom. That we're going to be crowned. That we're going to receive an inheritance that is his. And it means that we're going to spend an eternity without conflict, without pain or division. And it means that in, for the remainder of our time in this world, we have the motivation and the ability and the gospel to strive towards peace with one another. You see, hearing and believing is how we are to respond to Jesus Christ. We are to hear the good news of great joy that God has provided peace through his Son. And we're to believe God's word. That's what they say. Verse 15, the Lord told us we heard from him. It's not the angel's words. We're to trust that this baby, lying in a manger, helpless, is actually God's chosen king. In that through his life, death, resurrection, peace is secured between us and God. And our relationship with our creator God can be restored forever. Some of you may ask, does God's favor rest on me? Well, when we recognize the words of the angels, we believe that they are God's words. When we recognize that it's good news, when you accept in faith, then you will know that God's favor rests upon you. Jesus is the peace that the angels herald. He is the peace that God has provided. And the shepherds hear the good news and they respond in faith and they receive God's peace. Let me finish by asking you to recall the video from the very beginning of our sermon. Do you remember it? That scene from uh, Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, 1914. The reason I picked it is because it's quite striking. Because what's happening? Well, you have symbols of war. These soldiers, symbols of war, bringing peace to one another. When our passage, it's the same. What have we got? An army of angels surrounded by the glory of God. They're symbols of war. And whenever another army of angels and when God's glory comes again in this world, it will signal the end. But here we have them, not bringing war, but bringing peace. They bring good news of great joy for the earth. 
that there is peace to men on whom God's favors rest. I encourage you not only this day, but over Christmas and indeed into the new year, to hear the words of the Lord, to hear the angels' song. See that this baby is God's chosen king, that he has been provided by God to offer peace to all of humankind. And let me encourage you to know that you can have this peace, that you can have your relationship with your heavenly father restored, that you can benefit from the full riches of the gospel, that you can avoid the wrath of God that you deserve, that you can live in harmony with him and his people forever by hearing and responding in faith. Let me pray for us, and then we will well, we'll respond to God's word by singing to him words of praise. So let me pray.